Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 56. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration. We've talked before about how Precision Hydration recommend separating your nutrition and hydration. In other words, not carrying liquid calories when you're racing. And one of the main reasons for this is that it enables you to adjust the amount of hydration that you take on, which is highly variable. Uh, for example, weather has a big impact on how much you will sweat. Uh, and this can be separately adjusted from the amount of calories that you ingest, which uh, is more fixed for a given race intensity and, uh, of course, your size and uh, the upper limit of what you can absorb as well. And uh, this is something that you can read much more about in several articles on the Precision, Hi Precision Hydration blog, which you can find on precisionhydration.com. You can also take their online sweat test and get a free hydration plan. And you can get your first box or tube of Electrize for free with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And again, the URL is precisionhydration.com. Also, big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Probably my favorite example of Roka's innovation in search for faster and uh, better performing equipment is their invention of the arms up technology in their Maverick wetsuits. And uh, one interesting thing is that this arms up technology, which allows you to not be as restricted around the shoulder, is uh, available in all their wetsuits from the entry level to the very high end Maverick X wetsuits. But not only that, this arms technology is also in their tri-suits, in the Gen 2 Elite, for example, uh, so that if you have the Roka tri-suit and wetsuit, you will have absolute maximal mobility compared to any other tri-suit and wetsuit configuration, and it will feel almost like you're swimming unrestricted in a pool without a wetsuit. So that's a really great example of how innovative Roka are. They take that same approach to solving the problem of getting faster and faster in all their other product ranges as well. So check them out on roka.com and get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS all caps. So on to today's questions. The first one is from Scott in the United Kingdom who writes, Hi Michael, I really enjoyed listening to your podcasts over the last year or so. I managed to get at least one useful piece of advice out of everyone. With a background mainly in cycling, I decided to start competing in triathlon this year and I started training towards the end of 2018. I really enjoyed training for each discipline and have raced in distances from sprint up to 7.3 with good results. I've signed up for a full Ironman next year, Ironman Wales. Having not run any real distance before last year, I decided to take part in and build up to a half marathon this year in preparation for the 7.3, mainly to give me the confidence that I could run that distance prior to the 7.3. The half marathon was in March and the 7.3 in early June. Next year I will do the same half marathon and the same 7.3 leading up to the full Ironman in September. Do you believe that it would be beneficial to adopt a similar approach and also do a marathon next year in preparation for the Ironman? There is an event at the end of April, but this feels a little too early relative to the Ironman and could impact my preparation for the 7.3 in June. Any thoughts or advice on this? Thanks for your question, Scott. Uh, it's uh, a really good one and uh, quite common to ask about this. I think that uh, doing a half marathon in preparation for the 7.3, like you did and will do, is a great approach. 
and also having that 7.3 earlier in the year in preparation for the Ironman is uh, is another a great example of building up to the race distance and using uh, quote-unquote tune-up races, although in this case uh, the 7.3 might be more than just a tune-up race. They could very well both be A races. Uh, but nevertheless, the 7.3 will be beneficial for your other A race, the Ironman. Uh, as for doing a marathon in preparation for for an Ironman, my recommendation is uh, to not do it if your goal is the Ironman itself. It's a different story if you really want to do a marathon for the sake of doing a marathon, but if your goal is the Ironman, then I don't think that a marathon will help you do a better Ironman or a better Ironman marathon. And uh, this is something that I think that uh, most coaches, probably 90% of coaches, would would definitely agree on. It's uh, definitely not a controversial uh, stance uh, by any means the the reason for this is that the marathon and ironman marathon are totally different beasts the only thing that's the same in fact is the distance <laughs> and to be honest that doesn't count for much when it's preceded by five to eight hours of swimming and cycling uh, so obviously you will the freshness going into the the run will be polar opposites with you being fresh and tapered for the marathon and uh, do the Ironman marathon after five to eight hours of uh, of already exercising and uh, potentially going quite hard. Even if you don't go hard, you will be tired after that duration of of, uh, of working out. But uh, you have other factors as well, like energy. You will start the marathon with full glycogen stores, and the Ironman marathon, you will definitely not start with full glycogen stores. And uh, the time of day as well. A marathon usually would start in the morning, whereas the Ironman marathon would uh, be more in the middle of the day. And uh, depending on the weather conditions, not necessarily for Ironman Wales, but for other uh, Ironmans, it can be very hot during the time of that you. Uh, that you start the and run the Ironman marathon. If you run a marathon as a standalone race as well, chances are that you'll be racing it. And if you're fairly fit, then you'll be racing it at a zone three kind of tempo pace, uh, definitely above your aerobic threshold. Uh, the Ironman marathon, on the other hand, is uh, about how little you can slow down when you're in a very pre-fatigued state and also having less energy available. So depending on your fitness level your ironman marathon pace may be no faster at all than your standard easy run pace in training and for many it's actually even much slower than that that's usually not something that is uh, that is recommended that's not a pacing strategy that usually comes down to either bike fitness or bike pacing or nutrition and hydration strategy you i think most athletes if they prepare properly for the Ironman they should be able to do the Ironman marathon at the same uh, pace that they have been doing their their easy training unless they did the easy training way too hard of course Uh, either way uh, the marathon has no specific benefit uh, and with the emphasis here on the word specific uh, for the Ironman marathon because of these big big differences so yes you should absolutely do long runs in training i would recommend as a like sort of generic advice to go longer than 30k at least a couple of times and for example two runs of 32 kilometers in distance is uh, is generally good advice and a good rule of thumb i would say uh, the, the reason that i don't recommend doing a marathon is in addition to there not being that many benefits and not uh, very spe- not being very specific is that the drawbacks are many 
the injury risk is greatly increased not necessarily from the marathon itself but from the run focus training leading up to it if you focus on the run leading up to it but especially any running you do after the marathon before you're fully recovered and uh, the time that it takes to recover fully and get back to completely normal training is long do not underestimate this because you do so much uh, more muscle damage after in a marathon compared to in an Ironman. And we're comparing to a whole Ironman, not just the Ironman marathon, just because you're able to go much faster in a standalone marathon. So the impact on the muscles and the muscle damage will be much greater. And it may take up to a month to, to recover fully from a marathon. And that's uh, not, that should not be a surprise at all if that's the case. Uh, finally uh, in terms of like the confident uh, thing which is something that you hear a lot a lot of athletes want to do want to do a, a marathon before an ironman uh, because it will build confidence to know that you can run the distance that's the main argument for for running a marathon in preparation the counter argument to that that i would pose is that what does it mean for your ironman if you end up having a bad day during the marathon it probably will erode your confidence uh, even more. So I guess the, what I'm trying to say here is that I do not think that you should uh, hinge your confidence on any single workout or race or any single day, but it should hinge on like the, the consistency and how well you've been doing throughout your training period. You will have good days, you will have bad days, you will have great days, you will have really crappy days. But if you overall have been consistent and been able to follow the program, that's what you should build your confidence on. And that's why I don't think that uh, doing a marathon to have the confidence that you can do it is a good argument for doing a marathon. If, however, you still want to do a marathon, then I think that it's best to do it as early as possible so that you can recover properly without the stress of getting back to training quickly. So, for example, one of my athletes is doing his first Ironman next summer, and he's doing his first marathon in a couple of weeks, and uh, that is going to be at the end of October, so eight months or so before doing the actual Ironman. And after this marathon, he will have a season break, so he will fit perfectly with recovering properly from the marathon. And uh, for you, you have uh, maybe don't have that option, but maybe you have an option to do an earlier spring or winter marathon. So doing a marathon in February, maybe March, that will still give you plenty of time to recover and then prepare for that 7.3 in June. So that could be an option for you, although that might mean that you would not do the half marathon in March, but you could just replace that with the marathon, even if you do the, the marathon in February, probably that means that you won't do the half marathon in March, unless, of course, the marathon is early February and the half marathon is later on in March, in which case it could be entirely uh, possible. So I hope that this helps, Scott, and uh, good luck with uh, your training. The next question is from Kevin, who writes, do you have an opinion on the best FTP test for Ironman athletes? Uh, trainer road now has the ramp test or the standard 20 minute test what are your thoughts on which is the best so thanks Kevin, for your question i have uh, done both myself and i have uh, prescribed both to my athletes in general i think that the 20 minute test is by far the best when we're talking about setting training zones uh, because the 20 minute test allows you to set training zones both for power and for heart rate and some athletes, uh, they may actually reach their maximum heart rate during the ramp test, but I think that quite few do. I know that I don't. 
with the 20-minute test, on the other hand, since it's a steady, longer-duration effort, we can approximate even your heart rate zones fairly well from it without having to reach maximum heart rate. So the point here is that if you do the ramp test, you only get power zones that are reliable. And if you do the 20-minute test, you can get power zones and heart rate zones. However, I want to remind you, as always, that I don't think that 95% is... Uh, of 20 minute power is a good estimation ftp i would strongly advise going for 91 to 92 percent or something like that rather than 95 percent yes for some athletes it is 95 percent. that is correct there is an individual variance but for some athletes it will be 89 or 90 percent and it's always better to underestimate your threshold rather than to overestimate it hence my recommendation is to use 91 or maybe 92 percent of your 20 minute power to set your ftp and i'll link in the show notes to the calculator a google spreadsheet that i have so anybody can uh, go and use it and uh, plug in your 20 minute power and it will automatically calculate your uh, your power zones same sort of thing for a 20 minute heart rate the ramp test uh, can be good it's good in the way that it provides a less stressful way of tracking progress uh, because it is definitely less stressful than the ftp test you can do it and, and it requires slightly less recovery it also you can do it quite well even on uh, pretty tired legs i think so so it's easier to basically plan that into a training program and if you want to track progress then it's a great way it's it's a test that you can do every four weeks and it's not super taxing mentally either you can recover from it you can be fresh enough for it and you can see whether you're progressing or not i don't think it should be used to set training zones or at least it can't be used for heart rate zones i think unless you absolutely know that you do reach your maximum heart rate but then again if you have reached your maximum heart rate once then you probably only need to update that once every year or so uh, for power zones comparing to trainer roads calculations again i think they overestimate ftp a bit so i would subtract maybe 10 15 watts um, it's better probably to look at it in terms of percentage but uh, up to four four or five percent uh, perhaps from from the ftp that trainer roads gives you i would subtract uh, as that will be give you an FTP that is closer to your actual metabolic steady state, as I just um, talked about. So the advantage of the ramp test, as I said, is that you're able to do it quite often. Let's say, for example, you're in a period when you're focusing on the bike, on improving your bike. You can add that ramp test every four weeks just to see if you're improving, if you're on track, and that can be great. You don't need to reset your zones. Maybe you're training more to perceived effort anyway, and. Uh, power ends up being what it is you know what sweet foot feels like you know what vo2 max feels like so you can do those workouts without specific training zones so uh, so you just use the ramp test to basically see well am i improving or not uh, that's a great use case for it uh, that's in my opinion the best use case for it because if you are actually wanting to see what your ftp is or set your zones then i would recommend the 20 minute test i will add one more thing actually uh, the ramp test is great for pacing purposes with that i mean athletes that aren't great at pacing and finding their correct best possible 20 minute power uh, for these athletes the ramp test reduces definitely the potential error caused by incorrect pacing in the 20 minute test but that being said i would generally not recommend using the ramp test using this as a reason to choose the ramp test uh, rather i would see that as all the more reason to actually practice pacing and being able to pace the 20 minute test optimally so uh, 
yeah, you might do a couple of 20-minute tests and not get good data uh, because you end up not pacing it right. But it's all learning experiences. And uh, with enough practice, you will learn to to do that well and you'll start getting really good data. So so it's a long-term choice, I think, to learn how to pace really well so that you can do those 20-minute tests rather than using the ramp test as a crutch for poor pacing. As for your question for Ironman athletes, I would say that uh, these recommendations are the same for any athletes, irrespective of distance. Uh, the only, in terms of testing in general, the main difference I would make between distances, so sprints to Ironman, is that the longer the distance you're training for, the greater the reason, I think, to do some more advanced testing, like metabolic testing, either in a lab or using insights critical power testing. Uh, for shorter distances, it, these, these are still massively important and massively beneficial, of course. Uh, but uh, in, unless you're an elite athlete, it's not going to be the be-all, end-all or mission critical. If you're an elite athlete, it can be the difference between podium and getting some World Cup points that you need uh, or whatever it may be. But if you're just uh, an age grouper and you're looking to do your best uh, sprint distance time, then yeah, you might not do quite as well time-wise, but the difference is not going to be massive. And you're not risking blowing up just because you haven't done metabolic testing in a lab or anything like that. So, so field tests are totally fine and they can be be very useful uh, if you are but even for age groupers when we, when it gets to long distance metabolic testing actually really gives you a great insurance uh, strategy for actually making sure that you don't blow up because it tells you what your power is composed of how much of the energy that you produce is aerobic versus anaerobic at uh, different intensities so and knowing this makes a massive difference both in terms of pacing uh, so pacing strategy for your race and your nutrition strategy uh, for your race as well. So it can be the difference between finishing and not finishing the race. And even if you know that you can finish the race, it, it can mean like a big difference in terms of uh, how you perform. If let's say you have to just jog in half of the marathon because you paced the race incorrectly versus if you run pretty strong all the way. So, so that's why what I would say is the main difference in terms of testing between dis distances. The longer the distance, the bigger the benefit of doing actual metabolic testing. But in terms of choosing between the 20 minute test and the ramp test, there's uh, no difference. Uh, I would say uh, based, it doesn't depend on the distance at all. So uh, one thing to add, by the way, is that if you want to stick with field tests, then you can get a little bit of additional information by doing something like a critical power test. So do something like a three minute plus 20 minute or three minute plus 10 minute test or something like that to, to get a little bit more insight into the difference between anaerobic and aerobic uh, capacity. So that's it for today's Q&A. I hope you all enjoyed it. I'll link, as I mentioned, in the episode description to the calculator that you can use to set your training zones based on the 20-minute test. Uh, tune in for Monday's episode. It's uh, one that I'm really excited about. Just recorded it earlier today by the time of this recording. And that is another coaches roundtable uh, with uh, my fellow coaches, James Teagle and Lachlan Kirin. And in that episode, we'll discuss fatigue in training, which is uh, a super fascinating topic, in my opinion, and very important. And we'll discuss uh, how fatigued you should be in training, if you should be it at all, how you should manage fatigue. And we'll basically go in depth on a number of fatigue-related questions that are important to think about and consider. Uh, 
Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan by taking a simple quiz, and that will help you in your next race. And you can try your first box or tube of electrolytes for free with the promo code that's Triathlon Show, all on word, all caps. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roca.com. You can find wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear, and uh, you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.